magical ninth episode. So magical. So amateur hour. We're having fun, man. Here's the thing. Danny Wexelman, Darren Sutton, we love you have found this podcast. We've had so many great guests, elite college players, diverse backgrounds, unique stories. And I think the fun part about it is we're... I, Danny's so good at this. I'm getting my legs under me doing the concept of a really good podcast. And um, so this show is kind of in that same vein, except for we're, we're leading up to, and by the time you listen, college weekend will have started probably as this drops late Thursday night, Friday of the opening division one weekend. But we're going to talk with shortstop Drew Swift, who's so talented. And the interesting thing about Drew Swift is there wasn't much of Drew Swift when he arrived at ASU, literally. Like the haboobs that come through town, the big, the big desert storms yeah. probably could have swept him up and that would have been it. Yep. And, uh, and, and now he's, you know, first, second round pick shortstop. There was nothing to him. And he looked around and saw all these guys get drafted first, second round last year. And he is going to go that high. He's a great story. And, and then, and then Tommy Mace at Florida, who's been big and hulking and strong. And Danny, I think you nailed it perfectly. Like, both these guests are great, but one of them gambled on himself. He even was a 12th round pick out of high school where he could have mm-hmm. gotten six figures easily. Yeah. Went to college, could have gotten money, you know, talked it through in the draft. I love both our college guests. They're both very different. ASU, Florida, I love it. This is one of the best weeks of the year. And I, I have a soft spot, I think, for spring sports in college right now and, and what they went through in 2020. And the I feel like the work that has been put in to ensure that there will be a college baseball and softball and, and spring sports season, it's really hard. And we're watching right now college basketball, I think, kind of work its way through the trials and tribulations. But my heart goes out to college baseball and softball in hopes that they get their seasons and, and get to enjoy that um, and, and get back to those college world series. But for Drew Swift, Drew Swift is super cool because he had to be really patient in getting the opportunity to play at his dream school. Tracy Smith asked him, please be patient. I'm trying to work some things out. He mentioned uh, Bo Bichette uh, was one of the names in front of him um, who ended up getting drafted. So that was part of the reason that Drew Swift was able to um, go to Arizona State. Um, Tommy Mace is an incredible presence. He's very thoughtful. Uh, He is an impact senior according to Perfect Game. And I think he's just an impact person. Um, listening to the way that he thinks about the game and he's a student of the game. This Florida team is so stacked. I, I am excited for them. Um, you know, Hunter Barco is a name we've heard a lot. Jack Lefwich, um, it's, there's a lot of really big names. Judd Fabian, um, he didn't even have words to describe who Judd Fabian is. I don't think any of us do either. But Tommy Mace is, is a cool guest, so I'm excited for these guys. Yeah, and then you did a good thing. You went to all of our scouts and reached out and said, hey, let's let's go back. Let's go back in time. And instead of asking them to do a predictable college preview, there's a lot of those out there. And visit perfectgame.org. They've already done it in the written yes. word. They did an amazing, every conference, every level, like down to JUCO and NAI. So visit perfectgame.org and just click on the college content. So you went to uh, our great scouts, you know, like Brian Sikowski, Jeremy Brown, Jared Goodwin and said, open your scouts notebooks for the scout size segments and take me back to one of your most impactful moments as a scout, something where you knew it was special then. And then it turned out to be a million more times special because of who these athletes have become. I loved your idea. You know what? I can't even take credit for the idea. I wish I could. It was actually Brian Sikowski's idea. He texted me. He said, Hey, what do you think about this? Um, And then I reached out. So it is Brian, it is all Brian's idea, but I think what is different here is 
just listening to from their eyes it's just, it's really corny but they saw some inc- they've seen incredible people They're, they continue to see incredible people just hearing when guys were first discovered and when you first saw how magical some of these young men are um, is really special and they, they knocked it out of the park with this one and then a slice of uh, perfect game college baseball why not when we have the college theme hunter pence is my co-host and each week we take a great Hunter Pence piece out of the the pizza pie and share it with you. Um, We just, I mean, just finished a conversation with Georgia Tech head coach, Danny Hall, Um, thousand plus wins. Their ballpark is gorgeous. They've added more into it. It's like the heart of Atlanta. When the Braves fled, Georgia Tech went all in downtown. No offense to the Braves. They're up in the burbs, right? They're all in downtown. Their ballpark is epic. And what they've added, 10 more million dollars to it, they're going to be able to have some fans in the stands. And so Hunter and he got into baseball, old school, new school tech. It was really cool. So that'll be a part of it. Uh, by the way, Perfect Game College Baseball airs each week on Sirius XM's ESPNU Channel 84 at 10 o'clock Eastern. So this is a good show. There's a lot of great things we're talking about. Why waste any more time? Let's start it. Amateur hour here with Tommy Mace, right-handed pitcher from Florida, from Tampa, Florida, playing at Florida, an impact senior named by Perfect Game, a senior named by Tommy himself. And in 2020, Tommy, you bet on yourself. You decided that you wanted to come back to Florida, play another season, come out every Friday, play every week, finish something that you started last season with this incredible team. And you just said, it's a no-brainer for you and your family. That's a big deal. That's a big risk. What does it take to bet on yourself? just trusting in, in, in the work that I've put in during COVID um, and all 22 years of my life of, of trying to become a good baseball player and a, and a good man um, and a good person. So betting on myself is, it was, it was easy. It was just, I rather have control of my life than somebody else or, or organization, or I don't want to, I don't want to like, kind of give in or, or kind of not get what I'm worth or what I think I'm worth. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that's an incredible decision to make, especially at your age Um, and in the times that we're living to come back to something that is guaranteed that is, you know, you know, that, that you can earn that spot and be that guy. Mm -hmm. Now you are starting on Friday. The season is here. Like how jacked is your team and, and what's, What's the um, the culture like right now around the locker room and the ballpark? I think everyone's just excited. I think we're all ready to just to. I mean, personally, I'm I'm tired of facing the number one team in the country all every week. Um, <laughs> I want to face somebody else. So uh, I'm excited to play somebody else and play somebody new because sometimes these hitters hitters get hot and see us so much that we get banged around sometimes, and it's kind of it's kind of annoying when you throw a really good. O two 2 pitch or you throw a good one-two pitch and they get a hit off of it. It's like, is, is this realistic or are they just, are they just know us that well? Mm, that's funny. I like that. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, the concept of getting knocked around. I thought I was going to talk about this deeper in the conversation, but why not go now? And a guy who's a first round pick and a guy who has an electric arm, as a pitcher myself and having a father as a hall of fame pitcher, I love what you learn from outings. First of all, you play for an amazing team because one of your more quote unquote forgettable outings a couple of years ago came against Tennessee. I'm sure you remember it, right? You gave up a bunch of runs. 
but you won. I mean, your team, like, you won 10-9. You know, even if it's against the Florida Gators, who you faced inter-squad style for months and months and months and months, or if it's against that Tennessee team that one day when every other start's been really good, what do you learn on a day like that in a game of failure when you're human? I mean, you're truly human, dude. What do you learn? Um, and, and as you get older, do you tend to be okay with learning more? Yeah, so, so I mean, I – Definitely remember that start. I remember that outing. Yeah, sorry to start um, that. That was a random place to start anyway. But. <laughs> I, I remember it for sure. Um, but getting older, it, it's not as much as uh, stressing about it or getting mad or angry or showing frustration. It's, it's trying to be a student of the game, not to like get emotionally attached to the game in the aspect of like getting super upset about it um, because that will – go into your next start. Um, and as I, especially sophomore year, I had a couple rough outings and, and I think it kind of snowballed with me um, and learning how to deal with that and learning how to learn, not take it with me, um, figure out what I did wrong and execute what I need to do to be better that next outing rather than be upset or be mad at myself um, is, is key. Tommy, you worked out a lot with, with Brady Singer when things were shut down. This is a guy who, like Danny talked about, bet on himself. I mean, this guy had the world at his fingertips coming out of high school and then came to, to pitch at your program. When you came in as a freshman, he was very highly touted, obviously. Talk to me a little bit about your relationship, please. You know, the, the things, maybe the, the moments you laugh at privately, the way you push each other, the golf games. It seems like you probably competed everything. But also that yeah. shutdown time of COVID, right, where you could pick his brain a little bit and learn from him. Tell me, tell me a little bit about your and Brady's relationship. Yeah, so our our relationship started my freshman year. Um, he figured out I was good at golf and and that doesn't like to lose, and and added me to the golfing foursome and and took me as uh, his partner. So that's kind of how it started. Um, and every. Since then, we've been really good friends. Um, our girlfriends are really good friends, too. Um, but, but, yeah, it's just we we bounce things off of each other. More I bounce things off of him. He doesn't bounce much off of me. He's he's super stubborn and, and knows what he likes. But, uh, yeah, all of COVID, we've, we all threw bullpens together um, twice a week. It was like there was like five Florida guys there. So we started throwing bullpens at uh, Anthony Telford's. And then I think um, Richie Martin hit there, Pete hit there, Buddy Reed hit there. And then we had Alex throw. So we had like, it was just Florida Gators after Florida Gators coming in. And so we all kind of built a pretty good connection and talked about hitting or talked about pitching and like figured things out. And, and um, yeah, it was a really good COVID break of like learning off those guys. I mean, all of them are, elite level baseball players so so giving getting to like spend time with them is is awesome um for, for an example just for an example give me one anecdotally thing that you learned from brady i mean where he's a big leaguer now with the kansas city royals obviously something where you went mm, aha interesting i didn't realize that and you filed it away something that really you learned from from his experiences so so brady and i take play catch like just everyday play catch super serious um, and that's something that like, I think even for me and even for like younger, younger people, even listening to this, 
like play catches is where you get your work in every day because you don't throw on the mound every day. Like, I mean, some people might, but you, you don't. Um, so that, that one time a day that you get to throw and, and you get to work on things is like, is your craft. That's your, that's your BP every day. Um, so, so we make games out of throwing, if it's 120 feet, like trying to hit, hit, hip to hip, like each side, um, we'll play to five or something. It's always competitive with him and I, and, and I kind of take that with me here is like, I don't want to miss a glove or I don't want to, uh, make a bad throw or make a bad pitch and, and also stay locked in that whole time. I love that. I love, I love hearing. I, I think it's the little things always, right. That separate the good from the great um, exactly. little things like that. That's really cool. Um, I was hoping maybe you could give us a little scouting report on your starting guys. I know, you know, I'm, I'm a broken record for you, but you are the one who can brag on them and who can tell us exactly what they've got and who they are. So can you, can you go through and, and give us some scouting reports? So, I mean, you, you have JY, which is just lightning speed, makes good contact, has eye to barrel, like can put the barrel to any ball. Um, you got Judd. I mean, you can't really, well, I mean, I don't know how to explain that. That's just Judd. Uh, <laughs> big pop can hit it anywhere. Um, you got Armstrong, which is the strongest kid I've ever ever seen in a baseball uniform. Um, and I don't but, want to interrupt you. Um, I actually met your your starting rotation. Your oh, team. our starting like pitching. Yeah, yeah. Oh, team. okay. I was like, sorry, dude. I don't want to make some, you. I'm gonna give some things away. I don't want to get our rotation or I don't want to get our hitters too much credit. No, no. I'm looking at okay. your arms. Your your guys. Um, All right. You're see on my that. bad. I'm sorry. I was no, like, no. That's my fault. Yeah, like roll with Leftwich, Barco, and Pogue if you want. Yeah. Okay, so Jack, power righty, good slider, really, really competitive, um, just like cares and like wants to win and just tries to throw everything as hard as he can and, and good changeup. Uh, Barco, like another, if if he was right-handed, he'd be the same as us. He's just lefty, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> but big tall power left-handed pitcher with a good slider good splitter and then pogue i mean everyone at florida i swear sully's like if you don't if you're not six four or taller you're not coming here because everyone's six four six five righty like 215 pounds and just tries to throw as hard as we can with a good good slider a good changeup. awesome i love that that there's something in the uh the measuring cups there that yeah i, I swear on. they they bring a they bring a ruler or something to to every game to make sure guys are <laughs> guys are tall enough. He loves big tall righties. And then you mentioned uh, golf earlier. I wanted to circle back quickly because that was uh, you know something I was looking at. Your golf foursome. Give me your golf foursome, but give me guys that are in college baseball not on your team who you would make up your foursome with. Interesting. Good question. Huh? I like that. I'm interested now. Guys, so like. Wow. See, there are some guys that I met at USA that are all like drafted now that I would love to play golf with. And, and honestly, some of these guys, I, I wouldn't even know at all. Like I wouldn't have a relationship, yeah, but these okay. are like, 
all right, can I pick a draft pick or no? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So I would love to play golf with Heston Kerstat because he is, was by far my favorite hitter in college baseball. Um, since freshman year, since Omaha, or since we played them at the, at the Mac, um, probably Heston. And then you got Garrett Crochet, which we got really close um, during USA and stuff like that. And then probably, probably Doug Nikhazy at uh, Ole Miss, Um, another USA guy that I got really close with um, there, but I can't, I, she's, I, at my golf course, we can play five some. So I'm going to put Kumar in there because I would love to pick his brain about all the stuff that, uh, that he's done and, and how he is as a pitcher and like what his mindset is. Oh my God. Best answer. Love it. You crush that. I do love that. So April 30th, your ballpark, a lot of baseball will have been played by then, right? A lot of it. You'll yeah. have a bunch of innings under your belt. You will have evolved in a more positive way, but you'll face Kumar Rocker Florida ballpark that night. And two of the best pitchers in the country that aren't getting paid will be pitching under the lights. Moments like that, for those of us that will never experience it, which is almost everybody listening, um, what are those moments like? I mean, you know, what are those moments like where you hear the crowd, even if it's 20 or 30% or 40% occupancy, whatever it is by then, what are moments like that like? What do they do to you, the human being? They they help me grow um, just, just like – understanding how to deal with with like life and and also they just like they're exciting they're fun they're you like you can't put pressure on yourself or you can't put pressure on like your team or anything like go out and have fun and play the game that we played when we were two three four five years old when you were at that little league game and you saw 25 people and you thought it was a massive crowd you probably still got the same jitters I mean you have big leaguers now that that play in front of 25,000 every night. But if I played in front of, front of 25,000, I would get those jitters. But when they play in the world series, they get those jitters. I think you build up, you build up that, that like, Oh my goodness, this is, this is awesome. This is a big game. Um, you learn from it. And, and every time is, is new, it's different, but at the same time, it's the same. It's the same little, you get a little anxious, you, you're fired up, you're ready to, to go out and perform and, and try to beat the other team. I love that. that. There's a lot of people that would love to wear your spikes and have that opportunity to. Exactly. And, and definitely take full advantage of it because seriously, like I'm just like what you said, there are a lot of people that would, that would kill or, or love to, to be in our situation and to uh, get full to give full effort and, and don't take it for granted. So Frank and Carolyn, that's dad and mom. Yes. Uh, yes. Frank and Carolyn. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Did it was, I thought you, yeah, I thought you almost said Karen. I was like, that's my stepmom. No, no, no. Okay. So, so we're having basically a family gathering parents, step parents, whoever wants to come around, right. Whoever's welcome. Do you have brothers and sisters? I have you're We're about to have a time right here. Okay. I have three half sisters from my dad. Nice. Okay. And I have three stepbrothers from my dad as well. Okay. Okay. So let's say we're going to dad's house and, yeah. and we're going there and uh, stepmom is there. What's her name? Karen. Karen. Okay. Well, I could see where that'd be close. I got it. I yeah. That's why I was like, uh... well played by you. That was well played by you. And your mom is Carolyn. 
Uh, yes. Let's say, let's say we're, we're all going to dinner at, at your stepmom and your dad's house and everyone's gathered and Danny and I invited ourselves. So we're all going to sit down and have a meal. Um, what are we talking about at, at, at the table, at the mace table? What are we, what are we eating first of all? And what are we talking <laughs> about? Okay. So I got my dad a new Traeger at, uh, for thanks for Father's Day. So we're probably either going to have steaks or like a, like a um, smoked brisket or something like that. Um, if I get the choice, we're getting like a lobster mac and cheese or something cool. If, if it's a special day, like we did that. So let's say it's for Christmas or something. We did like a, a lobster mac and cheese, a smoked brisket, some potatoes. Um, wow. And Karen's. Karen loves her veggies, so probably like some grilled veggies. So does um, <laughs> What we're talking about, she's, um, I mean, every holidays, there's Chad, my, my youngest, oldest brother, so he's three years older than me. We're definitely bringing up the time that he th threw a football to lead me into the thorn bushes, and I came in just all upset, like, I was little then and I was so upset and, and I was, I walked up with my stepmom and she just was like, tough love, sweetheart. I love you, but here you go. And just gave me tweezers and made me tweeze them out. <laughs> and I was like, dang, that's tough. Um, wow. No, but that or just any type of competitions that we've had as a family or like just funny things that we've all, that we've all done. Probably Chaz and I, messing with each other about basketball or any sport that we played um yeah a lot of a lot of just funny goofy moments that that we've all lived together outstanding are you 21 yet you're 21 right yeah 22 i'll bring it i'll bring a good ipa then so we'll all, that's what i'm bringing and yeah and if you're training you pass anyway right you pass anyway because you're training that's it that's all i have man i i've just had a great meal with an elite pitcher that's all i need Perfect. Awesome. Tommy, man, thank you a million times. Really appreciate yeah, thank it, you. Dude. As we open up our scouts eyes notebooks and see the game through the eyes of Perfect Games great scouts, let's start with Jared Goodwin. And it's a time capsule. All three of them this week are time capsules. Uh, there was a time when he was coaching for Florida Travel Ball FTB, uh, a team that had Jose Fernandez on that team, but also Baez and also Lindor. And I'm leaving off many, many more future stars in the big leagues the late Jose Fernandez, the memories of he and Jared. So fall of 2010 was my first experience coaching Jose Fernandez, and it was down in Jupiter at the WWBA World Championship. He shows up. Obviously, there's a lot of excitement surrounding the roster uh, with Francisco Lindor and Javi Baez and Jesse Winker and Jake Junis and Daniel Vogelbach, along with Mr. Fernandez. And he shows up and, and ready to go to pitch game one and actually has forgotten his cleats, which is interesting with Jose because uh, pitchers like remember your, your pants, remember your belt, remember your glove, and you know don't forget your cleats. But Jose showed up and, and forgot his cleats. Um, so we had to run out and get him a, get him a new pair. Uh, he goes out, throws four innings. About the uh, third inning, guy gets on second base, first uh, base runner of the day. Um, it's two outs, and there's a 3-1 count, which was also his first and only three-ball count of that first afternoon. And he goes slider, slider to strike him out. And I look at my pitching coach, and I'm like, hey, man, 
like he's throwing 95. You know, what's going on? He's like, he shook off twice. So I said, okay, go talk to him and try to get the offense going. And we kind of pushed on from there. And he goes out, throws another scoreless inning. Um, game ends up being a 0-0 tie. Well, we end up getting out of pool play, and he throws our first outing of the playoffs. And in the opposing dugout is Trevor Story, who is an all-star, obviously, in the MLB now, and, and Josh Bell, who's also an uh, all-star in the MLB. And starting against Jose was John Curtis, who just pitched in the playoffs for Tampa Bay in 2020. So we knew we had our hands full. Jose tells me before the game, I'm going, I'm going CG. And I was like, well, you got 60 pitches. That's, you know, what we agreed upon, and, and that's what you got. He goes, I'm, I'm throwing a complete game. So we get to about the fourth inning. Um, he's cruising, and we get to another 3-1 count. And I said, what do you, you know, looked at my pitching coach. What are you going to call here? And he goes, I'm going to call a fastball again. I said, okay. So he shakes off, throws a slider. And I said, what, is he, what does he keep telling you when, when he's doing this? He, my pitching coach looked at me and said, Jose just told me nobody's going to hit a slider. Well, I don't disagree. So 3-2, I look at my pitching guy, and he finally calls a slider. Jose throws it, strikes the guy out as he's coming off. He looks at uh, my pitching coach and just says, now you're finally learning. So we get to the sixth inning, and he's thrown 63 pitches. We're taking him out. We end up uh, run ruling a, a really good team that night. And he comes over and taps me in the chest and said, I told you I was going complete game. I looked at him and I said, Jose, <laughs> there's no doubt about it, buddy. Go over there and get you a drink. We're going to the final eight. And that was my first experience with Jose, such an extreme competitor. Um, but more than that, he knew exactly what he wanted to do at, eight, at 17, 18 years old. And he was able to go out and execute it. Um, and not uh, Definitely not scared to go and tell you when he was right. And it was just so beautiful watching him play over the course of those years and uh, so tragic how it, how it ended. However, I'll, uh, I'll remember those uh, tales from the dugout for as long as I live. Drew Swift, and, and Danny obviously is based, you know, back east or who knows where her magical travels take her these days. But I, I probably could really rare back if Marlon was in good shape and throw a baseball to Drew Swift. He's that close. But yet I had to have Danny pull together with the ASU athletic department Paul Drew Swift in, again, who maybe if I open my window, we can do this podcast. So I'm, I'm excited to be talking to him. I've called a bunch of his games on television at ASU. And, and you and I never are able to get into this, Drew. I come, I call the games, we have brief conversations, and you play. Um, this is kind of fun. I, I guess I want to go here. Like, when you look around your infield last year, and it was a shortened season, and you see Torkelson who goes one, you see Alika who goes 40, uh, Trevor Hover goes 99 and Gage Workman goes 102. That's the whole infield minus you basically. Right. And, and when you see the progression of athletes, like you've progressed, what do you learn now in hindsight, because the draft's been over for a long time now, but now in hindsight, what do you learn about, you know, professional baseball? What do you learn about your development and how much your development from now, uh, from then until now will have an impact on your career. What did you learn watching them go through that? Yeah, um, obviously it was a super talented class coming in, and we kind of we kind of knew that um, it was a it was a difficult couple of years to begin with. But um, just talking to those guys after what they've been through, um, they said uh, it's been pretty easy. It's it's honestly sucked for them. They said because they haven't been able to play a full season. Yeah. But um, I mean, just going out there every day in practice and and talking to Gage, talking to Alika, just at shortstop, just learning different things. I mean. 
I would say that's where I kind of grew the most, just getting comfortable with new stuff, like, like strengths they would have and weaknesses I would have. I would just try to gain off of them. And so, I mean, just learning from those guys. And then obviously you have torque with, with the, uh, with the hitting side too. So, I mean, talking to those guys, it was, uh, it was a pleasure to have. And, and uh, honestly, the best infield I've ever played with. Yeah. You guys are amazing. You just amazing. And a, and a pleasure to, to, you know, the few games or the handful of games I was there with you guys, it was a pleasure. And you're one of the best defensive infielders I've seen in college. So, so what has come with that drew has been your offense, right? If I'm looking at slug, I go 214, 333, 460. If I go OBP, I go 321, 375, 403. I see everything getting better. So the simple minded guy in me, if I just bumped into you at Starbucks says, why? Why have I seen that great increase? Is it something beyond beyond just strength and getting taller and bigger, stronger? What else has it has, you know, sparked that great increase offensively? Yeah, I mean, uh, we I think we have one of the best hitting coaches in the country with Michael Early. Um, he's been a big part and uh, my success, um, especially I'd say last year, the big jump I had was just the more power. Um, uh, obviously, strength came with that, but just in there every day working and um, he's a he's a great dude to work with super easy I mean he's not gonna he's not gonna pressure you to do anything else anything special but um, he kind of just wants you to be comfortable and uh, I would say it was that and just the mental side knowing I'm a good hitter like knowing I can I can get on base knowing I can hit the ball deep so um, I would say a combination of both uh, the physical and mental side um, just kind of gave me a boost of confidence and I feel like uh, I've tapped into something I, I haven't ever had seen before. So um, I'm excited. So you've spent your college career with a lot of growth, a lot of progression, a lot of knowledge and a lot of patience. So reading about you and, and your uh, journey to get here, coach Smith asked you to be patient when you were deciding oncologist, knowing this was your dream school. And he was quoted saying, I say it every day, I'd be sick to my stomach if he didn't come here. So those are pretty powerful words, I, I think, anyway. So how has your patience paid off for you since that moment? Yeah, so it was kind of a crazy story on uh, how I got to ASU. I actually, it was obviously my dream school. Um, but there is, uh, there's a few infielders in front of me with, uh, Bo Bichette and Gavin Lux who were, uh, committed before me. So, um, I kind of had to be patient and it sucked. Um, I would go around other places, look at, look at the facilities and stuff. And it just, I just couldn't get ASU out of my mind. And so, um, I would say just waiting, waiting for that opportunity that I finally got was, um, was amazing. Um, it, it, it came true. And so, uh, those guys are obviously in the major leagues now doing their thing and, and I get to play. I always joke around saying that if those guys were at school, I'd probably be on the, uh, on the bench for a couple of years. So. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, that's really funny. And, and obviously the patience has paid off and it's really cool to see that journey for you. And, and with that journey, we hear a lot about parents and their influence on you. And as an only child, your parents have obviously tried to give you every opportunity in the world. Your dad, Pat, uh, shortstop at Georgia um, when he was in school. But I want to hear about your mom, Robin, and the impact that she's had on you. Yeah. Um, so I would always kind of get on her um, about the baseball side because it's, it's always tough with the, with the mother um, and the relationship with baseball. So, I mean, she's just always been the supportive cast. I mean, my dad was always coaching, so he was kind of hard on me. And so I'd always come home and I'd be bummed out sometimes with a bad game. And my mom would always be there cheering me up. So uh, 
she was always a supportive side. So, um, so I definitely needed that. That's awesome. Family's family's amazing. Is it cool to have them close? It is. Yeah. It's a pleasure. They're at, they're at all the home games and uh, occasionally I'll go home on Sundays, have dinner with them, stuff like that. So it's, it's a blessing. How much did they sacrifice? Because no matter, look, no matter what your parents' income is, if they're still together, not together, it's a sacrifice to have a pretty vigorous uh, travel ball schedule. And you did with Rex Gonzalez's T-Rex team. So talk to me about your parents and some of the car rides and the plane flights to Jupiter or to Atlanta or to Fort Myers. Talk to me about a little bit of the sacrifice your parents made so that you could be that travel ball athlete. Yeah, um, they've been awesome throughout the whole whole experience. Um, they uh, they obviously travel with me, paying for all my flights and stuff like that, um, getting me hotel rooms. Um, they've been awesome. My dad travels uh, about every week for his for his job, so um, he's not as there as much as my mom was um, at the time. But I mean, he's he's always wanting to come to games. Obviously, he's the more the baseball guy. Um, but uh, they definitely made some sacrifices that uh i couldn't do without him so yeah there's no doubt it's a good travel program with a with a uh, you played in a lot of good events you, you did you played jupiter and you, you I, i'd love to know who you were so when at, in 2014 at the 15 U PG world series in fort myers <laughs> 5 9 135 who were you back then drew swift were you andrew swift back then or drew swift you know, I, I don't, I couldn't even tell you. I, I'm surprised that uh, ASU recruited me at that size, but uh, no, um, I mean, I was just a, just a smaller dude. So um, I was never really on the radar to get recruited, but um, I was luckily uh, lucky to be on that team with all those guys around me and it kind of brought the scouts around and they would just happen to see me and they're like, Oh, who's that little skinny shortstop over there? He looks pretty good. So um, no, it was definitely good having those guys around me playing on such a competitive team. Um, but yeah, I got to ASU. My first weigh-in was 140.0 pounds. So uh, it had to be one of the smallest in college baseball probably history. But uh, no, we, we've came a long ways, put on some weight, definitely. So. And then from this skinny shortstop to a premier shortstop at a premier program, uh, you know, I think about you guys and your class, and I'm sure you are sick and tired of talking about COVID and the pandemic, but it's taken a lot. I feel like a lot to get to the point where we can say opening weekend is here. How do you feel like knowing that you are days away from finally like getting a season again? Yeah, I mean, I haven't wanted to play against another team so badly before in my life. I mean, just with the obviously the shortened season last year, we we, we've had so much time off and we've had so many inner squads. And so we're kind of all ready to be on the same side and compete against, uh, compete against another team. So um, I think we're ready to get at it. Um, I think we did a really good job on how we handled it with the whole COVID. Um, we had some guys go down and everything, but for the most part, I think uh, we're in a good position. We didn't have too many practices canceled. So I feel like we're really prepared going in for the season. Is there a team motto? Is there, is there something you guys are writing this year? Um, it's just be able to adapt. I mean, if we, that's the one thing that uh, coach has, uh, has, has said, um, he's just saying it's, it's not going to be a perfect season. There's going to be obstacles in, in the way. And so we have to be ready for anything that happens. I love it. Explain to people how quirky your head coach can be. Yeah, he's a, he can be a different dude. That's for sure. Um, over the years, he's definitely, he's definitely, I've, I finally understood 
uh, his, uh, his way of thinking, but, uh, no, he's a good dude. Um, he does, he does a lot of funny things out there. Um, so he's, I, I enjoy playing for him. Yeah. And I mean that honestly, in the highest of levels, considering myself as, as quirky and odd as I am, because I, I feel like when you're, when you're gray haired guys, like we are to relate to guys like you that get it and are hip, um, you were, you know, we're so far past, you know, being you guys, we, we were you a long time ago. I think you have to be a little different. I think you have to get in touch with your youthful side while not losing the fact that you're a leader and a mentor, but you have to get in, in, in touch with that unless you're just a straight military leader, which there are some like that in baseball too. He's not that though. He's kind of a, you know, quirky on social media. You know, you probably at times look on Twitter and you're like, Oh, there's my coach. You know I mean? And, uh, and, and, and yet you've watched him too. I'd love your perspective on this. You've watched him kind of endure a couple of years back to me, unfair kind of expectations and criticism. Like, I, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And I, and I was wondering about this with the older ASU alumni. Like, what do you guys expect? For me, I, I'm always impressed with the level-headedness. And you guys are watching him closely, whether you admit it or not. The level-headedness he showed a couple of years back um, when people weren't, quote-unquote, satisfied with where you guys were as a program. I learned a lot watching him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's, he's uh, remained even-keeled throughout the whole thing. Um, he, I mean, he's just been, he's been good with us. And so after my first year, I finally got to like notice why he was so hard on us. I mean, after the, my sophomore, my junior year, and obviously this year, um, I see how he's difficult on the freshman. He just wants them. He wants them to be good. He holds them to a high standard. So, um, after understanding that going through a couple of years and I mean, after that freshman year, he doesn't, he's not as hard on you because he knows that you've been through it and knows that, um, knows what he expects from you. And so, I mean, I, I mean, it's been awesome to have him. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for the uh, opportunity that I got. And I'm, I just want to help out those freshmen, let them know what's going on. So uh, I try to do my best. Hey, last one for me, is the stash staying? Is it growing? Are we starting anew when the season starts or what's going on with that? Yeah, um, Skip actually posted something on Instagram, kind of a poll of what I should do. And okay. a lot of feedback was coming back and they wanted the uh, stash. So uh, <laughs> we'll have to see. We'll have to see for opening day, see what we get, um, yeah. how I'm feeling. But uh, I don't know. I get I get mixed mixed feelings about it. So uh, we'll see. It'll be a surprise. Give the people what they want. So wait, exactly. take social. Wait, wait, wait. Take social media away. And, uh, and and I want to know where those mixed feelings come from. I don't care about social media or your teammates. Maybe your mom or dad. Is there someone significant in your life? Like, well, where do those where do those mixed feelings come from? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a few uh, more opinionated uh, people. Uh, I'd say my girlfriend. She uh, she wants it gone. She likes a full beard. I would say, um, <laughs> but but uh, but we'll see. I mean, if the people want it, then uh, I think they should they should get it. Okay. Okay. I'm, I guess I'm okay with that. Hey, by the way, she played at Grand Canyon. Yes. Soccer. She did. Yes, she did. Yeah, Jessica, Jessica. And tell me a little bit about what that was like Two D one athletes and a power couple, if you will, but tell me, tell me what that's like, because in a weird way, you guys can learn from each other. You guys can actually have empathy towards one another. <laughs> yeah. It's been awesome. Just supporting each other throughout the, uh, throughout the college years. I mean, it's, it's, been awesome going over there watching her play um she actually had uh she tore acl 
um, a couple of years ago, which ended her career, but um, she enjoyed it um, for however long it lasted. Um, she also has a brother who plays for the Giants. And so uh, it's been, I've gotten close with him for sure. We're, we're really close. And so um, just talking to him as well. I mean, they're great people and uh, I love having them around. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Awesome. Drew, thank you so much. Brian Sikowski opens up his notebook for a scout's eyes and memories, a time capsule this week. And uh, Danny was saying in the, in the open of this podcast, that this is Brian's idea for the guys to go back and look back. Uh, I remember this moment, Austin Bergner, a young man at Jupiter in 2014 was an underclassman. The, the impact he had, there was something else Brian remembered too. There's two great anecdotes. Brian, go. Gonna tell you guys uh, some scouting stories today. A couple of my my favorites from my my life on the road the last eight years or so. And uh, the first one is is we're going way back to 2014, uh, Jupiter WWBA World Championship, and it's late at night on the Marlins quad, and and that's the only quad with lights, so it's the only quad going on after dark. And there's hundreds and hundreds of scouts there, and they're all scattered around watching different players. And and an underclassman from Florida takes the mound on one field. And his name was Austin Bergner, who is now in the Tiger system, went to North Carolina. But he was an underclassman at the time. There was really no reason for pro scouts to be watching him, aside from just, you know, maybe a, a curiosity, a happenstance underclass look. And we'd, we'd known that Bergner was good, but then he was 93-96 with sink and a plus curveball and a good changeup and threw a lot of strikes. And it was unbelievable, unbelievably good. Scouts who were watching players on different fields who were draft eligible and ended up being, you know, top round picks the next spring, they were walking away from there to come watch Austin Bergner pitch, this junior, this kid who was two months into his junior year of high school. Um, really special night. That That's a story that still gets talked about in, in scouting circles to this day. Like, that's a story that uh, a guy you didn't even realize was there will tell you at the ballpark or something about the night he saw underclassman Austin Bergner and, and how good he was in Jupiter. Um, and the other one is kind of a more personal one. In 2018, I want to say it was, I was on my way down to Lexington for a, a series at Kentucky. I, I believe Texas Tech was coming to Kentucky at the time, and I went down to see that series. And And on the way, um, I stopped at the University of Cincinnati because Tennessee was in, and I'd already seen Kentucky's Friday starter that spring, so I was content to to stop at, at Cincinnati because I needed to see this arm from Tennessee. His, his name was Zach Lingenfelter. Ended up being a pretty good reliever. Uh, he was their Friday guy at the time. And I didn't find out until 15 minutes before first pitch that Zach Lingenfelter was not going to start that day. They decided they were going to bring him out of the bullpen. He was having some trouble with strikes at the time. And they were going to start this freshman lefty who I'd never heard of. And his name was Garrett Crochet. And so I sat there in the freezing cold, it was 34 degrees, and at Cincinnati, you're sitting kind of high up, and the wind's blowing at you, and ended up catching a sinus infection, and, and watched this freshman lefty from like the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, who's somehow at the University of Tennessee, dominate a Cincinnati team uh, for seven innings. You know, he was 88-92 with a good slider and threw strikes, and was, was a great body. And so then just by accident, like just by happenstance, I ended up evaluating the freshman at Tennessee who now we know was a first-round pick and was throwing 101 miles an hour in the big leagues right after being drafted. Scout's Eyes Notebook opened back up. Jeremy Brown, who's so dialed into the younger player, 13, 14, 15 years old. Well, he remembers when Kumar Rocker wasn't the name that we all know. I mean, 1-1 overall pick quite possibly. 
you know, perfect games, no hitters, all the things he's done at the college level. Elite, very representative, by the way, a strong representation of the African-American baseball player. No, Jeremy actually remembers when nobody knew who he was, and Jeremy was at that game in 2015. H, remember. One of my favorite scouting stories, it jumps out the moment Danny asked me this question. Happened back in 2015 in the month of July during the 16U WWBA. And for a tournament that you typically, it's rising juniors, college coaches know most of the players. They're either putting the finishing touches on their recruiting class or kind of looking for that piece or another another arm maybe that they need. We were all behind the backstop, I believe, at Hillgrove High School, look, watching a lefty from the Midwest. And on the other team, about a couple innings in, comes a six foot four, 220-pound right-hander, number, no, no number in the program, doesn't match up, go over, talk to the coach, quickly find out who it is. I mean, it was a type of body that the moment he walks out to the mound you go who's that need to know who it is a couple warm-up pitches it was the freest loosest easiest delivery we had seen on the day like I said six foot four 220 come back get the name from the coach Kumar Rocker just finished his freshman year in the state of Georgia um wasn't wasn't really on the scene up until this point but it was safe to say from that moment on everybody in America knew who his name was he was sat 86, 89, bumped 90 miles per hour. The same loose, effortless arm action that we know of him today, he had back when he was 15. You know, he came out just pumping the strike zone, looked like he was just playing catch. And you just, I, I went back to some of our guys and I go, he's not ranked now, but I think I just found arguably the best player in the class. Go from there. Then we kind of watch him throughout the summer. You know who he is. Now, you, anytime he's going to start, you're going to make sure you're there. You track him through the 2018 draft process. Never really relinquished one of the top uh, top rankings within the 2018 class. Finished number eight. Held on to number one for a while. Elected to go to Vanderbilt. And now, I mean, he's pitching for the Commodores. Did what he did in the postseason a couple years back. And pretty much is a consensus top one, two, three pick for this upcoming year. Going to be the number one at Vanderbilt this year. But it's just funny how back in 2015, nobody knew who Kumar Rocker was. Now you go anywhere in the amateur baseball world, everybody knows who Kumar Rocker is. Perfect Game College Baseball airs each week on Sirius XM's ESPNU Channel 84, 10 o'clock on Tuesday nights, Hunter Pence. That Hunter Pence is my co-host, and it's fun. It's fun seeing him just peel back more and more college baseball and learn the sport. Not go back to when he played, be the man who played the game and learn it from his perspective now. So we had a great conversation with, with Danny Hall, the 1,000-plus winner, uh, game winner at Georgia Tech, legendary coach, very peaceful man, a great leader. Um, one thing we didn't get into that I want to mention before we get to the interview all the college coaches fill out surveys for those of us at Perfect Game. Helps the guys write, helps the ladies write, whoever's writing all the content on the website, um, helps us do our job too. And in the survey, uh, the center fielder is listed as, as Colin Hall. I mean, you may know who Colin Hall is, but then when you go down the best tools part of the survey, best tools, Colin Hall, best outfield arm, Colin Hall. That must make Coach Hall very proud because assistants fill these out, assistants not head coaches. He must be very proud that his son is spoken of that way and that his son is on his way to professional baseball. That's a nice aside. Here's Hunter Pence and the legendary head coach of Georgia Tech. 
Considering all of the new technology and the amount of things that were coming up just the last two years, and I know that there's a whole bunch of crazy advanced technology. That's why I was I was interested to hear what that was. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the stuff we were hitting on before we got cut off last time, kind of the old school, new school. I know you have James Ramsey as your hitting coach, and he has all the biomechanics and all of these things. And you've watched you have you have the eye that's seen baseball when you've seen it year in and year out. You just kind of get gain this knack. And I wanted to kind of know how much you're involved with Ramsey and the biomechanics and how much you can tell. I, I guess you balance the two, the, the old school, the new school, and get your input with the new school input. I think you hit the nail right on the head. I, I'm probably the balance between, uh, you know, what my eyes tell me, what my experience tells me, what I've seen, uh, and what I think somebody should look like when they're either swinging, throwing, fielding, what have you. Uh, but Ramsey is, he's up to speed with uh, all the technology. We just hired a, a new guy that's kind of our ops guy, but he is uh, off the charts uh, smart in using all these blast sensors, using TrackMan data, uh, using force plates, uh, using high-speed cameras. Uh, the facility's gonna have everything in there. Uh, and then my pitching coach also, Danny Burrell, he was highly involved for five years with the Yankees as the pitching coordinator. And they were involved in kind of developing some labs and things like that. So he brought a lot of that knowledge on, you know, what is kind of current at the Major League Baseball level. But there's a lot of bells and whistles. Uh, and as we talked the last time, we want to use it to teach these guys and kind of, you know, show them things that they might be deficient in. It might be things that they're really good at. Uh, but at the end of the day, as you well know, you got to step in the box or you got to step on the mound or you got to go make a play. And, uh, and that technology, even though it'll speed up your learning curve, it's not going to help you in those situations. It's just kind of how competitive you are and, and, uh, kind of how much you want to win and, and, uh, you want to get a hit or you want to get the guy out. So, uh, I, I, as you said, I'm, I'm kind of the, the buffer, I guess, a little bit. But I'm excited about this to bring to our program. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I have seen the technology and all of that stuff actually like it can it definitely can help if you use it in the right way. But it also can really get in the head of hitters where they're thinking about all of that versus competing with a pitcher. Um, I get. I guess you already mentioned that on on hitting hitting that that topic. Uh, how how much have you felt like your hitters have improved being able to use this sort of stuff? And have you been able to avoid getting too much in the heads of these hitters? Because the thinking mind is a heavy bat. I like to think of like Dustin Pedroia's at bats when I look at like someone who had a long career of just making the most of being the like ultimate competitor. So I try to remind people when they're going through all this biomechanics, like remember you can like get it done with like. You know, Adrian Beltre going to a knee. Like sometimes you just gotta you just gotta fight with the ball and the pitcher and what he's throwing you. Oh, I think you're hundred percent right. And and you know, Pedroia would be a good example. You'd be a good example because if if I tried to teach somebody how to hit like you, it's probably, you know, it's probably not gonna work, but you made it work for several years because of how competitive you were and kind of your will to you wanted to beat that pitcher every time you stepped in the box. So uh, I think the mind, as much as we physically and, and use the data to try to teach somebody something, mind is, is probably the most important thing that anybody has. And, 
if they think they can get this guy out or they think they can get a hit here and there, uh, that's going to win uh, every time. And I think, you know, you just turn the TV on every night. and Guys stand different. Uh, you, you know, they set up different. But at the end of the day, they have that knack for getting the bat to the ball. And, uh, and at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to do, trying to hit the ball hard somewhere. And, you know, one of the things that I like a lot on, on all the technology is the guys that hit the ball consistently hard are usually our best hitters. They have a chance to have some power. Uh, and they're very productive. If you're not hitting the ball hard, uh, you, you know, you're going to struggle. And, you know, as, as I grew up and you grew up, that was, I mean, you wanted to hit a line drive every time you swung the ball. And if you hit a line drive, you were probably hitting the ball hard and hitting it square. So that doesn't change. We just have technology to measure it. Well, thank you, Danny. Amazing job this week, pulling all this together. And uh, I think it feels so appropriate on the opening of the weekend. It doesn't matter who the players are. I just think good stories. And uh, once we knew Drew Swift deeper, once we knew Tommy Mace deeper, it did matter who the players were because these are the right guys, kind of geographically. One's on one part of the country, one's on the other. One came in as a, a great high school player at Hamilton in Arizona, which is a great program, but again, had to wait for guys to sign and scholarships to drop down. And he was going on visits that he, you know, he was going on blind dates he didn't want to be on with other colleges. Uh, and then there's Tommy Mace, who's been a star for years and has been betting on himself to, to be even more of a star. It's been, those two guys were great. It was awesome. And what I didn't realize that happened so beautifully that rarely happens is not only did Tommy Mace talk about Kumar Rocker and Garrett Crochet, then our scouts talked about scouting those guys in, in a beautiful twist that doesn't happen very often. So it, I think it speaks volumes, not only to the players, but the people and how everybody really does just respect each other in the community that is college baseball. And it's really special. And I, I love that we get to kind of break into opening weekend with such rock stars and, and guys who represent the game. So I, 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 any more thoughts do you have? None. All right. Today. Thank you. Yeah. Nice job. I'm just going to wrap a quick little anecdote and, okay. and then we'll say goodbye. Um, and it goes back to Georgia Tech and coach Danny Hall. Uh, there's a pitcher on the Georgia Tech team who was a walk on two years ago. And when he walked on, um, he didn't make the team, but he stayed in touch with the coach and said, I'm going to go play summer ball somewhere and I'm going to get some innings in and I'm going to show to you that I'm a pretty good player. And he walked back on and things opened up and he made the team in the fall, did good enough stuff after the summer ball. Um, he's an aerospace engineering major, has only made one B, and he's very frustrated with it. <laughs> to me, this is what college baseball is all about. Sammy Crawford pitches for Georgia Tech. He does so as a walk-on. He's pitching game three of the season on Georgia Tech's roster. He's the number three starting pitcher with PG All-Americans on that roster with talented players. That, to me, is what college baseball is all about. Thanks for finding our podcast. Please subscribe, download, like unsubscribe, resubscribe again. Danny and Darren, Amateur Hour. I love that story.